I know that there are reasons to be discouraged this morning. The world, for one. The war in Ukraine. The war in the Middle East. Geopolitically, the world is seemingly increasingly unstable. Our own country, for another. Bitter politics. Looming government shutdowns. Republicans can't even elect a Speaker of the House. And then there's our own lives. Some of you came here today with burdens. Maybe you're lonely, anxious, fearful, tired, heavy, conflicted. I know there are reasons to be discouraged and troubled this morning. Which is why the message of this text is so good. Because through it, God directs you away from focusing on the stench of the present toward focusing on what He is doing and He calls you to join Him. To direct your energies and your efforts towards His purposes that He is unstoppably advancing. And so here's what God has to say to you this morning. Christian, be strong and fear not and build Christ's church. Would you open up your Bibles to Haggai chapter 2? Haggai is is a minor prophet towards the end of the Old Testament. It's on page 791 in the Blue Bibles. If you open up to Matthew, just turn left three books. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Read that with me. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. 
The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. We'll start with some context. The year is 520. It's been 18 years since a remnant of the Israelites returned to the promised land after exile in Babylon. Now, when they got back to the land, objective number one is to rebuild the temple. Why is that important? Because the temple is where God specially dwells amongst his people. And it's the, it's the focal point of right and proper worship. They've got to rebuild the temple. And they started. But there were challenges, and opposition, and persecution. And, and by the way, just, just note, in every age, those who don't know and love God will oppose the purposes of God. So they started, but, but then they stopped. And 18 years pass. Eight years pass. They're doing their own thing. They're busy about their own agendas. Haggai comes onto the scene. Haggai challenges them. What are you doing being busy building your own houses while the temple of the Lord lies in ruins? And they respond. Praise God, they respond with repentance. They turn, and on September 21st, 520, they came and they started work on the house of the Lord. Now, today is October 17th. It's been almost a month since they started the work, and God has a word he wants to speak to his people. So pick back up in verse 1. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, that's October 17th, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people. So this is a word to both the leaders, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and to all the people. And what's the word? The sad state of things. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? The Lord says openly, what I guarantee you, every single Israelite was thinking privately. This is pathetic. You ever seen the... the, uh, uh, pictures of a German city in World War II after the Allies just kind of bombed the heck out of it. Just charred ruins. You ever seen those? That's what Israel's looking at. 66 years earlier, Nebuchadnezzar burned the temple to the ground, burned the king's house to the ground, burned every great house in Jerusalem to the ground, and then he broke down the walls of the city. God's people are looking at charred stones covered in moss and vines. And some of them were even alive to see Solomon's temple. It was literally one of the wonders of the world. Gentile kings and queens traveled the world over to see it. 
How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? That's some realism from the God of heaven and earth. He speaks what he knows is in their thoughts. This is pathetic. You know what the danger is here? It's that discouragement will keep the people from doing what they ought to do. A month ago, they determined to put their hand to this good and godly work, but staring at the enormity of the dumpster fire in front of them, seeing that this is not going to be anything like what it once was, this could drive them back into inactivity. It could drive them to be overwhelmed at the task at hand, to throw up their arms, and to give way to a sense of hopelessness. The temple in Haggai's day is in a sad state. That's just true facts, as the kids say. And in many ways, so too is the church of Jesus Christ in our day. Think about it. How widespread is unbelief? How many people do you know who don't know and love the Lord Jesus Christ? How widespread is secularism in politics, in business, in education, in law, in media, in entertainment? When you look at our country, does it, does it seem as though the influence and significance of the church is increasing or decreasing? Doesn't it feel as though the church is just being squeezed to the margins of society? Yes, yes, you're free to be a Christian. Just make sure your beliefs stay within the four walls of that building you gather in. I read that on a Facebook post this past week about Christians in the area that we live in. And then there's problems within the church. Doctrinal drift. In every age, the church is tempted to trim the sails of her doctrine to the prevailing winds of the culture. Scandals. Failed leaders bring reproach upon the name of Jesus Christ and hurt the church. (laughs) And then there's ourselves. How often are our hearts distracted in worship? Disinterested in God's word. Detached from church. Disengaged in evangelism. How often do we confess with our mouths our allegiance to Jesus Christ, but in practice we confess with our lives we have more allegiance to the priorities of the world. Comfort, leisure, and pleasure. Honestly, brothers and sisters, there is a lot to be discouraged about. There really is. In Haggai's day and in ours. And the danger is that you might look upon the enormity of the dumpster fire and lose heart. Have you lost heart this morning? Have you stopped praying for the loved one who doesn't know Christ? Have you stopped working on the relationship that's hard? 
Have you quit sharing the gospel? Have you made peace with a heart that isn't moved by the songs that we sing and the preached word that goes forth and you're just going through the motions at church? You know, when you came to Christ, there is such joy and and zeal to serve the Lord. And that's a gift from God. But then life happens. And it keeps happening. And it could, it could. It could zap all your zeal. And discourage you. And lead you to quit laboring for Jesus. So what should you do? Well, that leads me to my next point. Be strong and work. Look at verse 4 again. (laughs) Yet now, be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. Did you notice, be strong is is repeated three times. Anytime you want to just wonder, what's the emphasis? Boy, start looking for repetitions. There's a good way to start. Three times. Be strong, Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua. Be strong, all you people. Makes me think of Moses' exhortation to Joshua when he was about to lead Israel into the promised land. Boy, that was a big task. Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that the Lord has given their fathers, that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It makes me think of Moses' exhortation to the whole nation. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. And you know, I'm struck that it's an inner attitude that God is getting at here. How are they approaching this significant and intimidating task of temple building? They could be tempted to to just think about it negatively. Defeatist thinking. This is never going to work. Demoralized thinking. Why even try? But, But that will not do. God wants the posture of their heart to be strong. And then he wants them to put feet to their faith and work. So what does that look like for them? It looks like not being intimidated, discouraged, demoralized, or defeatist, but getting busy about building the house. It looks like not looking at the enormity of the task and the seeming insignificance of what they're going to be able to rebuild, but getting busy about building. It looks like clearing away the debris, identifying what stones are good and which ones are useless, gathering wood and supplies, clear your calendar, Hephzibah, we've got work to do, and then putting one stone upon another. You like Hephzibah? Let's think about us. On this side of redemptive history, what does this mean for us? 
It means the same thing. Be strong, church. Enough with being intimidated by secularism. Enough with being discouraged by opposition to the gospel. Enough with being demoralized by the news. Enough with defeatist attitudes. Or maybe first you need to hear this personally. Enough with being intimidated by the difficulties of sanctification. Enough with being discouraged in your heart by the opposition from the world, the flesh, and the devil, which Jesus said would come. Enough with being demoralized by the fact that you're still a bad sinner in need of a great Savior. And enough with the defeatist attitude concerning your progress in the heavenly race. I'm not going to progress very much. Enough! Be strong and courageous. And then put feet to your faith and just work. Just start laying bricks. Like pray for yourself, for the church, for the lost. Pray. And keep praying. Ask. Ask your home group to pray for you. Ask your elders to pray for you. Where, where, friend, are you discouraged? Where are you intimidated? Where are you tempted to give up or give in? Ask for prayer, because my Bible tells me the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Confess. Confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Determine. You know, the next time temptation strikes, determine to say no. And then just do it again the next time. Invite. You know that friend you keep saying you're, you're, you're going to invite, but you, you never do? Just invite them. You want to come to church with me on Sunday? Brothers and sisters, you must learn to not be stopped by difficulties, but to persevere. Be strong and work. And let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. Now, let me just ask. Is this just the equivalent of a coach telling his team to get out there and get after it, boys, even if they know the other team is going to absolutely slaughter them. <laughs> In other words, is this, is this just positive, motivating self-talk in the face of challenges? No. Oh no, there are reasons to be strong and there are reasons to work. And I want you to pick back up in verse 4 and we're going to read through verse 5. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Why should they be strong and work? 
Why should they not be intimidated by the size of the task at hand? Why should they not be discouraged with the seeming insignificance of what they think they're going to be able to accomplish? Because God is with them. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. When God made a covenant with the people of Israel at Sinai, he promised that his presence would go with them. And he is still with them. My spirit remains in your midst. That's the Holy Spirit active in the old covenant, dwelling in the midst of God's people. And we know from our recent study on the Trinity that the Spirit of God is God himself. And so for the people of Israel to have the Spirit of God in their midst is to have God himself in their midst. God, who made a mockery of Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. God, who led Israel through the Red Sea and caused the waters on either side to stand up on a heap as they walked through. God who fed his people with manna in the wilderness. God who caused the walls of Jericho to fall. God who appointed Nebuchadnezzar to cart off the Israelites and trash Jerusalem. God who appointed Cyrus to send back the Israelites and rebuild Jerusalem. This God is with his people. Be strong and work. Because I am with you. God's people needed to hear that. (laughs) Put yourself in their shoes. Oh yeah. God is with us. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, no. I guess I should get to work then. Because if this God is with me and this God wants this temple rebuilt, then God will surely make it happen. And what I need to stop doing is is looking around and I need to start just getting busy. And church, you need to hear this too. All authority on in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) God is with us in the building of his church. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Well, no. I guess I should get to work then. Because if this God is with us, and if this God wants his church to grow, then I guess this God will surely make it happen. And what I need to do is stop looking around and and, and start getting busy. And I would say, brothers, sisters, that our responsibility in this matter is even greater than our Israelite forebears because in the new covenant... We have the Spirit of God dwelling in each one of our hearts. Every single believer in Christ is indwelt by the same Spirit who caused the waters of the Red Sea to stand up on a heap. So why should you be strong and work? 
Because the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. And there's one more reason. And frankly, this is the most stupid, awesome, wonderful reason of all. Be strong and work because Christ's church will be victorious. Turn your gaze over to verse 6. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Why should they work, even though it looks like the glory of this temple is going to be not very glorious? Why should they work, even though this is a seemingly overwhelming task? Not only because God is with them, but because God is in this. God is going somewhere and God is doing something great. What? Well, first of all, focus with me here. First of all, we have to remember a little bit about the past. Because when God made a covenant with Israel at Sinai, Exodus 19 tells us that the whole mountain trembled at his presence. He shook the earth it says. And Psalm 68 describes how this trembling reverberated through the centuries. He he scattered the nations in Israel's path, and Israel gathered their gold and their silver, and they literally used it to adorn the temple in Jerusalem. Israel's history began with Cosmic upheaval, if you will. A shaking of heaven and earth resulting in the shaking of nations so that they plundered them and their plunder glorified the house of the Lord. The Lord is promising to do something like that again. He is going to act. He is going to provide. This temple will be constructed. The work will be successful. And and that's motivation to work, right? Yes, God is, is going to ensure your ultimate success. And we know that he did. This prophecy was partially fulfilled by state revenues made available for the temple by Cyrus and Darius, Gentile kings, Ezra 6 and Ezra 8. There were also gifts sent by the Jews of the dispersion, Zechariah 10. But really, even even just a, a quick read of this text makes you think, there's got to be more here. And there is. There is much more. Look back at verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. 
Focus with me. This is, this is an all-encompassing shakeup of the world order. The heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, that's everything. Nothing is, is not going to be shaken. And that's confirmed by what he says next. I will shake all nations. And what happens at that point? So that the treasures of all the nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. So, in a coming day, the entire world order as we know it is going to be shaken up. And the riches of all of the nations are going to flow into the temple of God. And God will fill the temple with glory. This, of course, makes sense because everything ultimately belongs to God. That's why he says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. And then at this time, the Lord's glory will shine out from his temple like never before. That's why it says, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And then what happens? There's finally peace. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So what does fulfillment of this look like? Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament. If you get to James and uh, First and Second Peter, then you've just gone a hair too far. Hebrews chapter 12, and I want you to pick up in verse 25. Hebrews 12, pick up in verse 25. This was our scripture reading for this morning. I want to read a portion of it again. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That's Jesus. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned, warned them on earth much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. That's referring to Sinai. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's a direct quote from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. And he's quoting it to refer to something yet future. What is it? Keep reading. Verse 27, this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, For our God is a consuming fire. Church, what this means is that our text this morning is talking about the eternal state. It's talking about the new heavens and the new earth. There is going to be an all-encompassing shake-up of the world order in a coming day. Every nation and kingdom is going to be put down and Jesus Christ will rule as King of kings and Lord of lords forever. 
And we don't even have to guess what this looks like because Revelation 21 tells us. Turn there. Revelation 21, last book of the Bible. You're going to see reverberations of Haggai 2 right here. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So that great shaking, that's taken place. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. Go to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it. The glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Do you hear Haggai 2? And its gates will never be shut by day. There will be no night there, and they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. This is the fulfillment of our text this morning. Our text is not promising the rebuilding of a physical temple in Jerusalem in a coming day. It is not. Our text is promising something much, much greater. The whole world will become the dwelling place of God. God's glory will shine so brightly there will be not even night. And then finally, finally, There will be peace. And if you're a Christian, you will be there. Church, this is your future. Let's just press down a few things. Could there be any greater incentive to laboring for Christ's church than this? Seriously. I know there are lots of reasons to be discouraged, both in regards to your own soul and in regards to the church at large. But holy smokes, church, do you see what I see? Victory is guaranteed. We are going somewhere and it's not into the trash heap of history. History is taking us to glory. I know the church doesn't look like much right now. I know unbelief is rampant. I know opposition to the gospel is increasing. I know your battle with sin in your life is some days like, really? 
I don't feel very victorious right now. I know. Hence, we need the exhortation of our text this morning. Be strong and work. But it's so far from the garbage, simple, positive, encouraging self-talk. God is with us and God will win. And so what should you do? Non-Christian, you should bow the knee to Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin and trust in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross and rose again to pay the price for sinners like you. He offers to forgive you in the age to come. He, he offers you, or he offers to forgive you now. He offers to give you life in the age to come. And he, he offers you a life that can be lived now for the only thing that's going to last because everything here is going to come to nothing. So turn from your sin and trust in him. Your opposition is, is foolish. And it's, it's, it's hurtful even to yourself even now, and it will result in your damnation later. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will you escape if you reject him who warns from heaven? He will soon, unbeliever, hear me, he he will soon shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. He is coming. And you must reckon with him. In church. May this give us the godly kick in the pants that we need. To keep laboring for his sake. To keep building his church. To keep fighting our own tendencies towards distraction and disengagement from eternal matters. To to keep strategizing about how we can make a greater impact in the life of the church. To keep preaching the gospel to our own hearts and to our families and to our friends. To not be satisfied by nice houses and nice vacations while God's house needs your time and your treasure. Christian, ask yourself, am I building... Are you about the work of making disciples? Or are you depressed about the state of the world and discouraged by the difficulty of sanctification and distracted by nice things and some image of a picture-perfect life? It is so easy to get off mission. Amen? And so my appeal to you this morning is to fight for clarity in your heart. To be strong and work. To keep at those simple acts of faithfulness and obedience. To keep at evangelism and discipleship. To Keep away from thinking, this isn't going anywhere. Or, I'm not going to accomplish anything. 
and to keep your eye on the kingdom that is to come. Let us not grow weary in well-doing, for in due season we will reap if we faint not. Let's pray. O God in heaven, strengthen us for the task at hand. We are so often like Peter and we step out in faith and then we are overwhelmed by the sight of the waves and then we freak out when you would have us to merely keep our eyes upon you and you will work through us as we do our best. We ask God that you would glorify yourself through us. We ask that we would be faithful gospel laborers and we ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Redeemer, and King. Amen.